Regular meeting of the Peace River Town Council for uh, Tuesday, June the 9th, 2015, uh, shall be called to, is called to order. And uh, the official time start of the meeting is 11 minutes after 5 p.m. Uh, people should have an agenda in front of them. Are there any additions or deletions that need to be made to the agenda? Mr. Mayor. I have one addition, uh, Peace River High School grad invitation. Okay. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll add that under, is that business or is that information? It's an invitation. Okay, new business, item uh, 8.6. PR, Peace River, PRHS grad invitation. Okay. Any other additions or deletions? Hearing none, I'll take a motion to accept the agenda as amended. Thank you, Councillor Benke. All in favor? Uh, the minutes of June the 1st, 2015, regular meeting in council are, uh, have been out for review. Are there any? Uh, uh, are there any corrections that we or clarifications we need to make to the minutes? Hearing none, I'll take a motion to accept the minutes as presented. I'll make that motion, Your Worship. All in favor, Councillor Benke's motion. Uh, Ms. Alexoff, are there any public hearings? No, Your Worship. Uh, so that'll take us to presentations, and we have Myers, Norris, Penny otherwise known as MNP, and Ms. <coughs> Sherry Peterson will make a presentation of the town's audited financial statement. All right. Well, this year, as opposed to what we have done in the past, um, rather than do the full um, PowerPoint presentation with all the details, uh, we're just going to do a really, really high level um, information. Uh, once the financial statements are passed by council, they'll be available um, on the town's website as per usual. Um, so, so we won't go through the details quite as much as, as we have in the past. Um, so really, for, for the high-level information, uh, the, the consolidated spending of, of council increased about 8%. Uh, and, and largely this was, was budgeted for, uh, when you look at the financial statements, uh, it, it shows that um, operating expenses for the year are $5.6 million over budget. Uh, however, included in this amount is uh, amortization, uh, which the, the town does not currently budget for. Uh, and that's four and a half million. Uh, and uh, the Peace Regional Waste Management Company uh, amounts, which are consolidated into the town's financial statements, uh, they were above 630,000 uh, over budget. So, so really at the end of the day, that, that leaves about 472,000 um, in, in expenses by, by the town over budget. And, and really the majority of that uh, is in amounts transfers to, to local uh, boards and agencies, uh, which was about $255,000 over what was, was budgeted. And everything else is, you know, small amounts uh, uh, here and there, um, but nothing that's, that's really a, a cause for concern. Um, 
capital expenses, so uh, for for the town only, um, were were less than last year. They're about seven million dollars less than they were last year. Uh, but of course, in 2013, the uh, water treatment plant uh, was finished. So with that project being over, uh, capital requirements were were considerably less. Um, the consolidated fund balances and and the the accumulated surplus is essentially the number we're looking at there. So our unrestricted surplus, our reserves, and our um, uh, equity and tangible capital assets uh, increased about 1.6 million, which is uh, largely the um, surplus for for the year after capital. Uh, the cash position uh, of of the town increased about 8.9 million dollars. Uh, there was new debt um, incurred this year. Um, totaling uh, about $7.1 million, uh, and the large portion of that is uh, water sewer. Uh, it's all for capital uh, projects. Uh, so the, the reserves um, are, are currently 100% uh, funded. Uh, most of them are funded by cash. The, the local improvement reserve uh, is funded by uh, local improvement receivable. Um, so again, that's the position that that we want to to be in. Um, the the liquidity uh, of of the town did decrease by by 1.8 uh, million. So that's basically the the cash that's available to, uh, or things that will be turned into cash uh, quickly. Um, over the the expenses for the year or the liabilities, excuse me, uh, decreased. But but we're still in a positive. Uh, liquidity position. We're not in a net financial debt position, so um, that's that's good. And it will fluctuate with with the new debt uh, this year. That that of course impacts um, that liquidity quite quite a bit. And, and as that gets paid, uh, that'll improve. Uh, reserves uh, really at the end of the day, there wasn't a lot of change uh, in that from from the prior year, about fifty six thousand dollars after kind of all the the ins and outs um, with the new. Uh, debt that was incurred this year, uh, the, the total debt limit uh, increased to 42% uh, of, of the maximum. Um, there's an allowable amount, uh, of course, that uh, municipality is allowed to borrow based on what the revenue for the year is. Uh, and so at the end of December, the town was at 42% of, of that number. Um, and the... Um, Debt servicing limit. So, so this is also based on uh, your revenues, and this is the basically approved amount um, for your principal and interest payments in the coming year. Um, and so that's at 25%. So again, we've got some room in in our debt uh, limits and our debt servicing limits. We just want to be making sure that um, the the funding is is uh, available if, if we need it in case of, of emergencies and infrastructure needs, of course, are, are going to increase. Uh, so the, there's reasonable borrowing capacity um, available there. Uh, but sort of in, in hard numbers, the, the debenture debt uh, increased from 6.7 million to 13.21 million. Um, so overall, you know, the, the financial picture is stable. Um, challenges for the town always is uh, maintaining that liquidity, making sure that we've we've got enough cash that isn't restricted, um, that's that's available to cover uh, liabilities, uh, capital projects, and capital funding is always a, a concern, and and we've discussed with with council, um, you know, the infrastructure needs for a lot of northern Alberta municipalities is going to be replacement of water sewer lines that 
have been in, in the ground for, for 50 years and will need to be replaced. Um, and just for, um, you know, growth of, of the town is, you know, having prime residential, commercial, and industrial land that's, that's available for people who want to come in and, and do business and, and live in the town. And so those are always the things that um, are planning and, and discussions to, to have for, for future projects. Um, so that's sort of the, the main highlights. Is there anything that council would like me to, to go into in more depth or discuss in more detail? That's fine. They've contacted me in the past. Mm -hmm. Just not sure about the uh, the client the cl the client professional relationship here. Okay. Any uh, does anybody have have anybody want to highlight or ask Sherry? Okay. All right. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, if I could ask Echo Electric to uh, to come up and make their presentation on LED streetlights. Okay, great. On, or, no, just, yeah, push the one. There we go. 
So we have a very brief presentation uh, regarding the LED lights, kind of where at Coelectric is at with them. All right. Uh, I know you were here just last week, but for the folks in podcast land who might download this podcast on iTunes, <coughs> can I just get you to read your names into the record? Okay, I'm Barb Jones, Customer Service Supervisor, Peace River. And I'm Albert Bouchard. I'm the District Manager for the North Peace District. Great, thanks. Okay, so we'll just walk right into the presentation here. Um, at Coelectric, uh, with At Coelectric, you now choose to, between the traditional HPS or LED streetlights for the town. At Coelectric completed two pilot projects in 2000 and, um, just a moment here. So in 2010 to 2011, and that was from October to May, so over the winter months. They completed two pilot projects, one in Jasper and one in Drumheller, so that we could evaluate um, the efficiency and the performance and the cost of the LED lights. And we were satisfied that the LEDs are a safe, viable option for communities in our service territory. Our first priority is pedestrian and driver safety, so we wanted to make sure that they provided enough light, lighting for the requirements. Currently, we have about 4,500 LED lights in our service territory. So in addition to Jasper and Drumheller, there's also LED lights in Beaver Lodge, Grand Prairie, and Fort McMurray. And the light that Atco Electric has chosen for residential is the LED roadway medium, medium body light. And it's a 43-watt light, which in essence replaces the 100-watt high-pressure sodium. They measure about 22 inches long by about 14 inches wide, and they are dark sky certified, so it reduces the light pollution. And and keep in mind, sorry, Barb, yes. just keep in mind the 43-watt ones are for residential areas. Mm -hmm. Also have some that are of an 86-watt for your main streets and, you know, 143-watt for, for your highways, that sort of, sort of thing. And actually, actually, Atco Electric is looking at different wattages you know, for different applications as well. And right now, the basically for being used for new residential, residential conversions, and standalone installations. So, in deciding the right option to consider for your community, there's a few different pieces of a criteria to balance. One is the environment. So LED uses fewer heavy metals and reduces the light pollution. They use about 55% less energy than an, than an HPS streetlight. So that doesn't equate to 55% lower power bills. It's just the energy portion of it is 55% less. LEDs, they, they cost more upfront, and the time to recover the initial higher investment through monthly cost savings is it takes about approximately 16 years to realize those savings. And as streetlight street light technology continues to evolve, so we, we assume, just based on other technology, that as it evolves and becomes more prevalent, that the costs will go down. And another thing to consider is the age of your existing lights, so how much life is left in the existing lights that are there. 
So here's just a representation of kind of what HPS looks like in comparison to the LED. So of course the HPS produces quite a yellow light. The LED is more of a white light and it's a bit more like it's more downward facing just the way that the, the light itself is, is made. And regardless of what type of light you would choose, Atco Electric would, you know, for sure make sure that it fits the standard lighting, the, or sorry, the lighting standards for safety and, and um, uh, pedestrian use. So typically what we found there in residential areas, we, we've been able to pretty well convert from uh, the 100 watt HPS to the 43 watt LED without, uh, with using the same footprint that we have on the existing davits. Whereas with main roads or highways, it may involve uh, including more uh, units to provide the same kind of lighting that you, you could require. Okay, so as we talked about before, the energy reduction is approximately 55%. So on a 100 watt versus like a 40 or compared to a 43 watt LED light, your savings would be about 228 kilowatt hours a year. And there's also a CO2 reduction of about 355 pounds, just under 355 pounds for cost savings, an annual cost savings of about $24.53 per light. So that's based on your energy being in the fine printer. It talks yeah, about your energy being worth, or you're paying energy at just a little over three cents a kilowatt. Yeah, this was what April 1st, I guess, the directly energy's regulated rate option was um, three, 3.182 cents per kilowatt hour. So it depends on what, on what you pay for energy. And so just to compare both the HPS and the LED light with some other appliances that we're all familiar with, the HPS light use approximately the same amount of ener energy as a digital cable box with a PVR, and the LED light is more like a plasma TV or a water cooler. So just in kind of comparison there. So the initial cost and the payback period. So the initial cost to install an LED light is about $500 more up front, and the time to recover that is calculated approximately 16 years. And the estimated cost to convert an existing HPS light to LED is about $1,000 a light and customers are responsible for the full cost of the conversions. Cost to convert includes the LED fixture, fixture, salvaging the existing light, installing the new light, the material handling, and the lane closure permits, etc. So if there's any permits required for that. There may be an additional cost if we had to do additional lighting studies. And the road widths and setbacks on collector or arterial highways may present challenges in obtaining existing lighting level without relocating streetlight davits. So you might not be able to just plunk them back in the same hole that they came out of, depending on the light studies. So was the $500 included in this 1000 or it's not? So it, it's it, the $500 um, is, 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 is included in that, so that's how much more it costs. If you were installing a brand new one, it would be yes.
Okay. So pretty short presentation. Anybody have any questions or comments or requests? So what's the maintenance comparative with the LEDs to the other? Is it similar maintenance costs and time, lifespan on the lighting? I think the, the lifespan is expected to, to last longer than existing bulbs. The, an HPS bulb is uh, lifespan is around five years. We have a program where we replace the, the bulb every <coughs> five years versus an LED where the technology today, you basically replace the whole unit. So it, uh, because they've only been in service for a few years, we haven't reached the end of life on, on uh, the majority of them. Any we, idea? Yeah, I think they're saying 20 to 25 years is... Yeah, but that's what they say on those little bike bulbs, too, and you right. throw those away left, right, and crazy, so... so we haven't reached <laughs> that point, so it's it's pretty hard to predict uh, what the expectancy is, is going to be. Um, keep in mind, you know, it's a lot of times when you're installing new technology, the you, you anticipate failures at the beginning and then certainly at the end of life with the ones... Um, we installed in Fort McMurray the the you know the lifespan at the beginning, or as far as the uh, you know the failure rate was very low, so it seemed like we we found a fairly good product. And, <coughs> so it, um, and they've been in service now just you know a year or two. So I guess my other question is compatibility. You know, you can change a street and and leave it, or two, or a neighborhood, or the whole town, or. Yeah, it, uh, you know, as, like Barb was saying, as far as the difference in lights, so it's pretty hard to replace HPS with LED when L and that HPS reaches the end of life because you'll end up with a, a white and a yellow light. So you, like you're saying, Terry, you pretty well have to do a whole subdivision or a street or, um, you know, maybe you want to look at uh, as you're developing new subdivisions, you'd right. start doing them. Um, I think typically communities that uh, have gone ahead and done some pilots, they've done different subdivisions or uh, part of a subdivision just to see what the opinion is. And uh, generally, I think they're fairly well received. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? I just could, uh, I wasn't listening carefully enough to the, the $1,000 and the 500 and then uh, after that explanation, just are you proposing that we change something in our agreement very soon, or what? Wh where did you want to go with this conversation? I guess basically, we were just asked if we could present some information on LED lights. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and basically, we have a, a an approved presentation that they sort of give us, and it's it, it's it's strictly informational. It's just information for you know this is this is the information that we have on LED lights. I think the the cost of uh, the the difference between HPS. So an HPS head is approximately two hundred and fifty dollars versus the seven hundred and fifty dollars for an LED is where that five hundred dollars comes in. The remainder of that thousand dollars would be the installation and handling of the you know the light. So do we have any areas in our town where you're going to be replacing? The, the other kind because they're five years is about up the uh, I'm trying to recall the if we, if we go back to we last changed bulbs I think we're due in 17 to, to do a rotation of replacing 
all the bulbs. The bulbs is just a small component. So uh, I believe it's in the $40 range with the, the bulb and the labor to replace all of them. So, And that would be for the whole town in 2017? Correct. So I, I missed that, or maybe I just wasn't paying close enough. So the poles, the, the standards stay, it's just the head that you're, you can switch? The, or do you have to take the whole pole out and replace the whole pole? No, the, um, the, let me back up a little bit. It, um, if we go back to 2008, when the Echo Electric and the town of Peace River entered into an agreement where uh, prior to that, the town had... Uh, we're on a non-invested rate. So you paid less for your, your, uh, the maintenance, the operating costs of the streetlight, uh, but you had more ownership, more responsibility. So if somebody hits a light, uh, the town would be responsible for the replacement of that. We also brought back uh, to the council uh, the forecast as far as what we anticipated the replacement rate was, was going to be required over the coming years. So... Um, the town decided to uh, allow Echo Electric to invest in, in those lights, which we did in 2008. And over the number of years since then, we've reinvested in those street lights to bring them back. And uh, we did some painting. We extended them so that they're no longer in, in soil, which you know deteriorates the standard a lot quicker. The heads we typically replace them as they fail. So. Uh, I don't have a, a number to present to you, but as a head fails, because it's in a sense reached the end of life, we would replace that uh, on operating maintenance costs. Now the, the bulb replacement, which we did, the last one we did is 2000 and 2012, coming due in, in 17. Not sure if that answers your question. It kind of gives you an idea as to, there was a bunch of uh, units that were replaced uh, I guess they over the, the past uh, six or seven years, you know, to the tune of around six hundred thousand dollars is what yeah, we reinvested. Yeah, I don't know if you answered his question because I think your question was, okay, you have the light, the light standard, the the actual yes. post. So you're asking, can we these LED lights? Do they you just take off the sulfur, the HPS or whatever it's called, the sulfur bulb? And then put on the LEDs, right? But you can't just, or, yeah. You have to replace the whole unit. I mean, I'm getting. Yeah. Are you replacing the? Do you replace the 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 lamppost as well no. as the? Okay. It's just the head that gets replaced. Uh, the difference between the LED is when it reaches the end of life. Uh, presently, they don't have a technology or the means of replacing each little bulb in an LED. You replace the whole unit. Okay. Versus. Uh, with uh, HPS, there's a couple of components that we replace the bulb, um, and also the photocell. The photocell, as uh, as we talked about a little bit last week, yeah. um, we were replacing typically when we do that group bulb replacement, we replace about 10% of the photocells. Um, you know, they, the sun or they, you know, they just deteriorate, and you know, the lights stay on or they don't come on at all. So it. Uh, as part of the technology that continues. And you'll still have that problem, right? Yeah, there's still a photocell on, yeah. on each of the uh, units. So about how many residential light standards do we have in town? I think we have 
that information for you in the, in the different quadrants, whether it's uh, along the highways or in the residential areas. Um, 788 100-watt um, streetlights, so typically that's in a residential area. We have 264 at their 150 watt, so that would be uh, Main Street, they're the kind of decorative unit, and 250 watt, there's about 100, 101 of those within the town of Peace River, so those would be typically right along the highway. And just, again, trying to get my wrap around, like, at the prevention building, since I've been there, like, in 30 years, they've replaced the lights twice. And I qu questioned the one guy, why are you doing this again? Because you just replaced them three years ago. Yeah. He told me that the replacement value, they went to those T8s. I think he said the payback on that was three years. So I, I guess, obviously, these LEDs are much more expensive than, than the, the T8s. So uh, the other question I have, and again, it's just getting around, like, with the agreement we have with ATCO, you, we, the town pays you a fixed amount, and then you look after all the lights. Right. Uh, you do all the replacements, all that kind of stuff. So the operational cost, if you have to replace every bulb every other week, that's your cost. We don't right. have to get involved with that. That's the difference between the invested and non-invested uh, <coughs> Okay, because one of the things I heard with LEDs, um, and a couple companies done some market research, and Walmart is one of them, they replaced their, in their parking lots, and I'm not sure if that was just in one state or whatever, but they replaced them all. And the, the savings were justified just in the operational cost because, you know, I guess, you know, they're anticipating you have a five or ten year lifespan. And so you're not coming around every three years to replace it. And it's, you know, the, the article they read, they co quoted the numbers. It was quite high. I, I was just surprised at the yeah, cost. I think I read that article. It was in California when Enron was running the electrical utility. So. You know, it, 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 uh, it, it is a new technology, but it's still evolving. Uh, as, as more communities get on board with it, it um, I think the per unit rate will, will continue to come down. But, uh, are we still kind of on the leading edge? Uh, how much more technology can they develop into these? Uh, I, I think that's a little bit unknown yeah. at this, this point. But, so but obviously, it, you know, the town would pay those upfront costs, but the operational costs, if they come down significantly, that's to your benefit, right? Well, hopefully over, over time, the, the streetlight rate across the province or within our service territory would, would reduce also, right? So you don't have a program to go out there right now and replace our, our streetlights, our HBS ones with LEDs. No, we don't. So what your, your recommendation is, if you start a new subdivision, you would, in the developer's agreement, ask them to put in LED lights. I, I think that would be your option to, to, to do that. But it, because of the, the difference in color of light, uh, you know, what would be the public opinion if you were to go from a yellow to a white to yellow, white along a street, uh, for example, would be kind of the, one of the challenges you'd be faced with, I, I believe. So uh, the federal government announced on April the 15th a green uh, sustainability grant. So if we were able to get this grant and uh, the uh, project was to replace our street lights with LED lights, uh, I guess we need to get together and, because and, each, it sounds from each bulb that you change out, you save 400 pounds of CO2 emissions, so basically 
200 kilograms of CO2 emission. So f five street lights is a ton. And I guess we could even start claiming credits on every. Yeah, you know, whether you want to look at it in, in a phased process, you, know, the, you do a whole subdivision or a street. I think I've heard that. Uh, <coughs> I've actually spoken with the maintenance people here a while ago um, in the city of Red Deer who started doing a replacement program. Um, the numbers that you show here are quite uh, um, similar to what the, the city of Red Deer or the information that I got from them. And one of the big cost savings is being that the, the bulbs last so long, the failure rate, they've had very, very minimal failure, failures. Um, but the, the one number that he did give me was when you go up and do a, a bulb replacement or maintenance on an APS, HPS type system, if you're going up just to do one bulb, you're looking at a 250 to $300 just to go up to do the maintenance for the crew and everything. So when they do the changeover, um, they do a like a whole neighborhood and then those cost savings actually come over a period of time like 16 to 20 years but it is a good program yeah so as far as the ones along the highway is there uh, any requirement by transportation that those lights have to meet is there a provincial standard obviously but I mean if the town of Peace River wanted to change the one say along the bridge and the highway what Permissions, I guess, would we need from Alberta Transportation? Yeah, I think we, we require some dialogue. There, there is a standard you have to meet for, for roads at mm -hmm. certain speeds, right? So it, uh, I think we'd have to do a study to see if we're changing the photometrics from, from the HPS 250 watts that we presently have to, to the 146 or whatever I, I mentioned. I think it's 146 is what replaces the, the 250 watt. Depending on the, the photometrics of it, would determine whether we have to add more and certainly that dialogue with uh, transportation would be required. At this point, I believe the town of Peace River do pay for the maintenance of those lights along the, along the highway. Okay, thank you. I have one final question. You said that Beaver Lodge and Grand Prairie switched. Is that part of your area? Like, do you, like I guess I just wonder if you have any, like what's the reception of residents? Like I personally really like the, the white lights and, and if, if you started doing a bid, are we going to have people saying, well, we want ours switched at the same time? So I think the only town that's uh, gone and, and done the whole community is, is Fort McMurray. The other ones that Jasper have done, uh, Connaught, I believe that the main, main street through Jasper and Beaver Lodge, I believe it's the same thing. They did a pilot project. I, I'm not sure how many units they, they had in their pilot, but... Uh, that's what they've done. They haven't done the whole community yet. But so they're not getting negative feedback saying, well, you know, we really like the, the, uh, the LEDs. We want them, the others switched as I well. I think the feedback has been fairly positive from, the, from everything I'm hearing. But I hear what you're saying, Rod. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Yeah, how can you do the street over here? And we would like to have yeah. LEDs as yeah. well. Yeah, but, I mean, it's definitely a, a preference of some people. So, yeah, that okay. might be something that... Any other questions? Well, thank you very much. So if there's any other information you would like us to get for you on that, just please let us know and we'll endeavor to do that. All right. Thank you for your time. Thank you. So the uh, next group on the agenda is uh, 
DMI uh, forest resources. Could ask them to come to the front. I'm I'm assuming you've got a PowerPoint. Uh, no, I think you, you'll need to stick in your memory stick. You got one presentation for us and one for Pmine. <laughs> so, are they different? <laughs> okay. Well, if I could get you to just to read your names in the record before you make your presentation. And I'm Michael Jackman, Planning Supervisor with DMI. All right, so thank you very much for, for letting us come and, and speak to you guys again this year. Uh, we always enjoy coming out and sharing our information with the with the councils so uh, we're going to basically talk about our our general development plan for 2015 and then uh, we've got a little bit of other information um, that we've changed up in the presentation this year for those of you who've seen it in the past um so, so i mean just a real quick history uh dmi constructed in 1989 as i'm sure many of you are aware uh, we're a craft pulp mill and we produce hardwood and softwood pulp. Uh, the production is between 12 and 1500 air metric, uh, air dry metric tons per day. Uh, we have approximately 290 to 310 full-time permanent staff at DMI. And we have a contract workforce. This number says between 150 and 180, um, but I, I think that's just our, um, our uh, mill contract workforce. And we probably have about the similar amount of uh, contractors working in the bush in our woodlands department as well. So I'd, I'd say it's probably closer to 350 to 400 uh, total contract workforce. Uh, we also accept uh, ch chip deliveries uh, from our bush chipping, but we also buy chips from the local sawmills in the area. Uh, we also accept uh, some tree length logs, and this is mostly salvage that's from incidental uh, harvesting from the conifer operators. Or, or salvage operations from the oil and gas sector. Uh, we also use biomass in, in the mill for our cogen facility. 
and uh, we get most of that from the local sawmills. So this is uh, this is the uh, map of DMI's uh, operating area, and it shows the um, the different forest management agreements that, that we have. So so the purple area is our east side FMA. Uh, that that's the area that I look after the planning for. Um, on the west side, we have the the orange operating areas, and uh, Trina Tosh looks after the the operations or the planning over on that side. Um, we we, we have green zone operations that uh, that show up on there uh, as uh, deciduous timber agreements, and we have some white zone uh, timber agreements as well. And then it it also shows the provincial parks on this maps. So our, our requirements, uh, we require approximately 1.3 million cubic meters of deciduous um, wood each year and approximately the same amount of coniferous, slightly less. We're trying to um, balance that out uh, at this point. And we also bring in about 275,000 tons of biomass for our cogen facility. Um, so our 2015 general development plan, we'll, we'll go through some of the highlights from, from last year. Uh, we'll show you what we're projecting to harvest and haul for, for this year. Um, we've got some information about some current research and development that we're doing. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, our consultation with First Nations and Métis and provide opportunities for some feedback. So this, this is a new slide this year. So our forest planning process in Alberta, um, we, we start with our detailed forest management plan. That's a 20-year plan that we developed that, that outlines um, the areas that we can harvest wood in, the volumes that we can harvest from them, and uh, you know, basically sets out the uh, overlying conditions that we need to follow when we're, when we're doing our, our planning and our operations. Uh, each year we prepare a general development plan, uh, which is what we're reviewing today. Uh, from that general development plan, we do forest harvest plans, which, which are five-year plans, which actually get down to the cut block level and show the cut blocks that we're planning to harvest in the, in the next five-year period in, in an operating area. And then each year we also prepare an annual operating plan where we select blocks from the, the forest harvest plan that are going to be harvested in that particular season. And, and each of the plans has uh, a description of the activities that are, that are going to happen, the reforestation that's going to take place, and uh, uh, how much volume and the type of volume that's going to be harvested from each of the blocks. Uh, so, so the purpose of the general development plan is to provide uh, a projection of activities for the next five-year period. Uh, it guides the integration of activities, so it helps... Uh, the, the other forest operators that are on the landscape to know where each other are go going to be operate so we can possibly integrate activities with each other and have some some cost savings and so that we're not uh, we're not going into an area and then next year maybe Boucher is going into the same area we try to coordinate it so we all go at the same time uh, schedule timber disposition and administrative activities kind of the same thing uh, predict cut control status. So, I mean, the, the activity, because, um, you know, we get the incidental deciduous volume from the conifer operators and they get the incidental uh, conifer volumes fr from us, um, 
you know, we all like to know where each other's going to kind of predict how much volume we could be getting from each other so that we can, you know, pl plan our activities. And it, it's also nice to coordinate the development and reclamation of, of roads so that we don't have roads open uh, for any longer periods than we need to, or, you know, we're not reopening roads that, that have already been uh, deactivated to, to get back in and, and do those activities. So the primary components of the general development plan include a five-year forecast of area scheduled for harvest. And we estimate the, the volumes that uh, we project to, to get from each of those areas. Uh, it includes an overview map of the operating areas. Uh, it includes cut control tables that identify the annual allowable cut versus the actual volumes harvested. So it's a, it's a running tally um, over a five-year period. Uh, it also includes as-built information from previous timber harvesting years. So it shows the roads and cut blocks that have already been harvested along with outstanding actions to be completed on those. So, you know, maybe we have some, some planting or road deactivation work that needs to be done from previous years. Uh, that, that'll show up. And uh, the general development plan is our opportunity to do First Nation, Métis and public consultation. Uh, so the first part is the GDP map, which shows an overview of the operations, proposed haul routes, and s any satellite yards we may plan on using, and it shows the planned operating areas for five years, color-coded by year. Uh, harvest operations. Currently, we have eight chippers working working in the in the bush, and we have a fleet of approximately 70 trucks. So it's a substantial uh, operation. We operate on crown and private lands. And operations generally start uh, around July 15th. And that, that's so that we can give the birds opportunity to finish nesting before we start, uh, start our bush activities. And they go till about March 31st um, or, or whenever the, the weather uh, forces us out of the bush with breakup. So a few highlights from the 2014 season. So, so last year, DMI harvested a total of 66 uh, cut blocks between our forest management agreements and some quota licenses that we hold. The, the total area harvested was 3,158.2 hectares. Uh, the average cut block size was 47 hectares, with the largest cut block being uh, just under 242 hectares and the smallest uh, being just under 2 hectares. A hectare is how many acres? 2.47. Um, so just some examples of cut blocks um, that, that, that we've harvested. So you can see that, uh, you know, we don't, we don't do the large square patches anymore um, that, that, that used to happen on the landscape. We're really trying to, to emulate the natural disturbance patterns that, that happen uh, through fire and uh, an insect. Um, infestations. Uh, you can see we're also trying to, to leave a lot of retention in, in the blocks, in patches and even um, individual trees. Uh, we, we map out and, and put buffers on water courses that flow through our blocks so that we're not operating uh, in the water courses and um, having the potential to um, change the flow patterns of, of water on the landscape. 
uh, part of the part of the design on the blocks is also uh, for what for wildlife so that we're um, wildlife doesn't have too far to go across an opening to, to get to cover uh, approximately 400 meters is the is the amount of distance that uh, is the maximum amount of distance that we want wildlife to have to cross a, an opening to to find some sort of cover and and that helps um, creating block edge that, that can be used by wildlife on the landscape as well because they they don't always like to look at each other even though they're you know a long ways apart you know moose don't feel comfortable feeding beside beside bears but they can do that if you have lots of a block edge, right? They can be fairly close and not even see each other out there. Just another another example of the the retention uh, and the types of blocks that we're harvesting on the landscape these days. Um, this this is a little bit dry stuff. So some of our 2014 harvesting uh, statistics. So the areas that we harvested. Um, I'm not sure if these really mean a lot to people. A DHP 2100, so that's that's the dump road um, off of Highway 35. Uh, White Mud Tower is, is also out that way. Um, DTLP 16 is north of Manning. Uh, DTLP 53-1 is um, it, it's a large area in the white zone. Uh, the area that we harvested in here was just north of Dixonville. And then all the East Peace stuff there, the EP Cash, EP Carmen, that's all in the east side of the river up our East Hall Road. And then uh, SU Nauticuan and ST White, or an, an SUP 2200. Um, again, those are uh, up in Nauticuan River area, north of Manning. Uh, so you can see we, we harvested. Uh, we harvested about 480,000 cubic meters off the off the land base last year. So to get to that 1.5 um, million that, that we were looking for, the rest of that came from uh, residual chips from from sawmills. And we actually didn't get to that that target last year. We had a lot of downtime at the beginning of the season with our with our chippers. Uh, typ typically, this this would be up about another 200,000 on a on a normal year. Those chippers are your own, or they're contract chippers, or both? They're contract chippers. So the, the 20, 2015 operating season, you can see the, the operating areas are, are very similar. Um, with the addition that, that we plan on going into to Twin Lakes and uh, Vesta Creek up near Keg River. We had those on the plan last year, but just the, the weather conditions that we ran into just didn't allow us to, to get into them. So we're going to give them another try, another try this year. And and we're estimating, this says 220,000 cubic meters of logs to be brought into the yard. I, I, I'm not sure that that's, that that's correct. I think that's the, the estimated volume of chips um, that, that's going to be coming in. Um, Yeah, I think that's a projected volume of chips. So, you know, we're, we're projecting about uh, 3,000. Oh, no, that is the volume of logs. Sorry, my my mistake. So 220,000, that's more logs than we brought into our lo uh, yard in a long time. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I mean, we were trying to really control our chip inventories this year. And it, it 
it was really close to biting us in, in the butt a little bit when the weather turned bad on us. We Our inventories got, got pretty low, so um, if we can bring logs into our yard, it, it's a little bit higher cost for us, but it gives us a little bit of insurance if the, the weather doesn't cooperate with us. So um, that, that's pretty much what that is, is, a bit of an insurance plan. So, th so this is the map for our general development plan. So the orange areas are the areas that, that we plan on going into this year. And, and we could be going into those, those areas for all, all five years as, as well. Um, and then the, the blue areas are the areas that we plan on going into in the uh, in next year. And there's some, some lighter color areas that are on there um, for, for, for years after that. But we do update that it is just a forecast and we do update this annually um, you know as, as our plans change as our market conditions change um, so so this does give us a, a bit of an idea of what we're thinking at this point in time anyways any questions so far i've been going through this pretty quick just on your on your plan there back to your other yeah, just so lots of oil and gas activity to the east of Peace River. So um, obviously you've got a supply basket out there. So do you, with that in mind, do you try to get out ahead of the oil patch to try and do some of that stuff or um, or you just simply deal with it on an operational level and just whenever there's uh, incidental or salvage logs off of, a, off of a site or do you actually, are you trying to advance a, a, a broader plan? No, so, so that, that's a really good question. So, I mean, there, there's so much oil and gas activity going on and it's, and it's so dispersed that, that we really just deal with it as it, as it comes up. Okay, so, so our plans really have, we, we don't know what the oil and gas guys are, are doing on the landscape. Right. Yeah, so, you know, our plans are, are our plans. Um, and, the, and unless there's a big project, like, like the Shell Carmen Creek project, we got out ahead of them and, and you know, harvested all those areas because it was a huge area that right, they that's were. that's sort of what I was driving at. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, so unless it's a huge project like that, um, ACO, when they put in the power line, we went in ahead of them and, and, and harvested the trees off, sure. the, okay. off the power line too. So on the big projects, yes, but on a day-to-day, -day, you know, putting in well sites, we just deal with them as they come. So, so for 2015, we're anticipating about 29,000 loads of, of chips to come into our mill from, from our bush operations uh, in, in B-train chip truck loads. Uh, satellite vo yard volume is brought in tree length on log trucks, and currently the only satellite yard we operate is our own DMI, DMI yard. We're considering... Um, Maybe putting up wood in some other satellite yards, but we don't have anything, anything, any plans firmed up, firmed up yet. Again, it was it's kind of that insurance basket. It's it's quite costly to to handle wood more than one time. So putting it up in satellite yards is a is a huge expense. But uh, running out of chips at the mill is a bigger expense. So we're trying to trying to weigh those options out. Uh, so access the the. Access is quite um, a huge issue for us, you know, especially with uh, with the fish and wildlife guys. Uh, they don't like the fact that we're, you know, opening up a lot of areas that that would not traditionally be accessible to to hunters. Um, so they have uh, 
required us to control access in a few places. So the Whiskey Jack Road is, is one of the areas. So we actually have a gate on the road that, uh, that we monitor. And, and we have timing restrictions when we can open the gate. And, and when the gate is open, we have to have people monitoring it um, and, and controlling the traffic going through it. Uh, there, we have another gate on the Keg River Road. And then th there's other access restrictions when, when requested by the government of Alberta. Most of or many of our cup blocks have uh, uh, an access requirement where if we're going to be inactive on the cup block for a 72-hour period, we have to just block, block off the access into it, either by putting a piece of equipment across the road or, or barricades or, or, or a log or, or something like that. Uh, we try to minimize road construction and coordinate it with other users. Building roads is expensive, so you know if we don't if we don't have to do it, we, we try not to. Uh, where we can, we use existing existing cut lines. That's that's easy for us to do in the winter time, um, but sometimes you know we're trying to to get into some areas in the summertime, so the existing cut lines don't necessarily go in the best places to to build roads. But where where we can, uh, you know, we try to to not make any extra disturbance on the landscape. Uh, and all of our in-block roads are rehabilitated, and when necessary, uh, we replant them to, to get the trees to grow back on them. And we don't do a lot of tree planting. Uh, I think there's another slide in here, but because we're uh, basically deciduous timber operators, uh, the, the blocks grow back quite, quite nicely with just the suckering from the, from the roots and the stumps that are, that are left on the block. Um, most of the tree planting we do is just just filling in little little gaps and and maybe along the roads um, because we've created too much disturbance along them especially in our summer operations for for the trees to grow back naturally so we'll replant them so so here's our silviculture slides so tw 2014 we, we only site prepped about 25 hectares and and deca decompacted about 35 hectares of of roads uh, we planted 173 hectares. Uh, our leave for natural was just over 3,000 hectares. And, and we do do establishment and performance surveys to make sure that, you know, that all of our blocks are meeting the standards that have been set for us. And uh, we did surveys on about 4,300 hectares last year. So for 2015, uh, we're not planning to do any site preparation. Uh, we have about 25 hectares of roads to decompact. Uh, we plan on planting about 390 hectares. Uh, leave for natural is about 2,675 hectares. And we're going to do surveys on approximately 4,400 hectares of, of cut blocks. So, I mean, the, the silviculture activities are usually from the previous year's harvesting activities. So you, you can see, you know, last year we had 3,100. This year we had 2,600 uh, hectares of leave for natural. And that's just because of the... The, the bad weather conditions that we had in the in the fall last year that we weren't able to, to do some of the harvesting that we had planned. Uh, so timing of operations. So like I said, we generally start around the 15th of July. Uh, and that's a voluntary thing that we do to give migratory birds um, time to, to finish nesting. Uh, I mean, the, the federal regulation says that, that we can't disturb active bird nests in, in the forest. And I mean, well, 
I mean, it's without, we can't with good conscience go out in there before that time and say that we're not disturbing active bird nests because we just don't know where they, where they all are. Um, so, so that's something that we choose to do to, to meet the regulation. Uh, our frozen operations generally start around the end of November or whenever we get enough frost in the ground to, to get onto the, the wetter areas. And, and then we work through till breakup. And, and like I said, these dates are always weather dependent. Sometimes we get in a little earlier, sometimes we have to leave a little bit earlier. And operations in our satellite yard uh, basically run from, from April to August. So all the wood that we bring into the satellite yard through, through salvage operations, um, we chip that in the yard with the portable chippers um, while we're not operating in the bush. And we do buy wood from private land. It has been typically about 250,000 cubic meters per year. It has been declining just because there's less wood available on the, on the private landscape right now. Um, and again, we generally start around July 15th. And um, we, usually, we usually don't do much private wood in the, in the wintertime because that's when we're out on the FMA getting the, the cheapest wood that's available to us. So. Uh, private land operations are generally restricted to, to non-frozen summertime operations. Yeah. I actually was invited to take that wood and, and I walked through it and, and I mean, I, it was just that the wood that was there just wasn't suitable for, for even chipping. It was just, it was terrible wood actually. So, I mean, it, it seems like there's a lot of wood there and it, you know, it makes a lot of smoke when it gets pushed up into piles and, and burnt, but it, it was very patchy and it was just, it was just small, ugly wood. And I mean, uh, the, the only thing we could have done with it was hogged it maybe and 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 even at that would have been a huge expense it would have been a big expense for hogging it Be well. because they didn't want i mean we offered to hog it but they would have had to cut it with feller bunchers and skid it and they said that it would cost them more to do that than to bulldoze it into piles right so it, it just basically came down to economics because once they bulldoze it up then we can't hog it because it's got too much dirt in it so um yeah, we, we did look at it and we, we tried really hard to find a, a way to make it, to make it feasible. Um, we did take some of the wood that was um, on the, the, the highway um, de development in behind where the, the new um, Peace River Ford and, and Chrysler buildings are when they did the, the road development in behind there. We did take as much of that wood as we, as we could. Um, but that's part of the reason we didn't take the other stuff either because it ended up just being really costly for us. Um, we we, we kind of did it more on a good neighbor uh, approach as opposed to uh, an economic standpoint there. Uh, so certification, so DMI does um, subscribe to, to several certification standards out there. The, the first one is ISO 14001, which basically is an environmental management system. It, it sets up um, a lot of our, <coughs> um, uh, how we track our, our operations out there. Uh, the next one is the Sustainable Forestry Initiative. 
and that one actually describes the activities that we do on the landscape and it, it sets a several standards that we must meet uh, on on the ground and in our documentation to, to make sure that the, the wood that we're harvesting is in fact sustainable. And then we have a couple of chain of custody uh, certifications that the PEFC and the FSC, uh, the Forest Stewardship Council, and I can't remember the acronym for the PEFC, but basically what those ones do is they, they track all the other wood that comes into our mill that we don't harvest to make sure that it actually meets the certification standard that we subscribe to as well. So even when we're buying wood or accepting wood from other people, it still must meet the, the certification standards that, uh, that we subscribe to with our, with our SFI. And that all of the certifications are audited annually and we do internal audits and then, then we have external auditors come in and, and audit us as well. So we do two audits a year on, on each of these. Uh, initiatives and achievements. So, so some, some of the cool tools that we have now, uh, we have uh, an enhanced version of wet areas mapping, uh, which the province has provided us. And, and it uses um, LIDAR, which is laser, laser imagery, um, to, uh, to map the, the bare earth of, of the landscape. So it, so it shows us, it predicts where places should be wet, you know, where water might, might flow. And it, it gives us a pretty, a pretty nice, nice tool to, to help us plan our roads and our cut blocks so that we're minimizing the impact of water on the landscape. And it helps us uh, project what areas might be summer harvestable which and what areas must be uh, operated uh, frozen before we even before we even get out in the bush uh, we've also got some new uh, 3d imagery uh, so, so we have a, a workstation that that's set up and, and it uses um, some pretty high-powered software and some some cool uh, digital imagery to um, it, it basically gives us a, an overview of of the landscape, even better than flying over it in a in a helicopter or an airplane, because we can actually, you know, s stop on a spot and zoom into it and zoom out of it and measure tree heights and and, and all kinds of stuff. So it, it really really allows us to you know get an overview look of the operations before we even even step on the ground. So our our planning is getting much much better because of it. Um, you know, in the in the past we would use you know, we would use aerial photography and and um, uh, ortho imagery to, you know, kind of kind of plan out stands, and then we'd have to get guys boots on the ground to really to really ground truth it. And quite often, the stuff that we thought we had planned up really nicely from the photography changed considerably uh, once we got the boots on on the ground. And we're finding now that we're having actually very little changes to to the cup blocks. Um, as we're getting more familiar with these tools. So I, I think our plans are gonna, gonna get much better in, in the future here. And, and because of that, uh, we're currently carrying out a ribbonless boundary trial. So we're actually doing a lot of the mapping on the, on the computer and we're just putting boots on the ground to, to verify that the, the block boundaries that we've projected are, are good that the road locations that we've projected are good. And then we're using uh, GPS in the feller bunchers and in the skidders um, to, to, to stay within the lines that, that we've set for them. So it's a, it is a trial. Um, we, we do have buy-in from the, from the local government to, to do that trial because as with 
all technology. I mean, there's little glitches in it, right? So we need to make sure that, you know, if we do have a little satellite glitch and a feller buncher ends up a few meters outside of a line that, that we're not going to be dealing with, with trespass issues and stuff like that. So um, we are trialing it. The, it. It's looking quite promising at this point in time, but we've still got some work to do on it. So this is just an example of some of the some of the mapping tools tools that we have in the imagery that that we have available to us, and this actually isn't even the newest stuff stuff that we have right now. Um, so so this is some um, some imagery that we get from Silvacom. We can access this from our our laptops while we're while we're out in the field even. Uh, this is some more of the imagery, just showing some of the cup blocks that that we've harvested. So again, we can. We can open this up right from our, our tablets out in the out in the field if we if we need to see something, and we can. It, this is all geo-referenced as well, so there will be a little dot that shows up in the middle of the of the opening there, tell us exactly where we're at on that on that photo. And this is just this is the same stuff. We're just zooming into it to to get an idea of the uh, the resolution and the type of photography that we're that we're dealing with. Um, so this is new for this year, so DMI's forest management approach. Uh, like I said earlier, we've taken an ecosystem-based uh, management approach where we're trying to emulate the natural disturbance patterns on the landscape. We've gone away from the checkerboards and the large squares and rectangles out there. We're doing proactive adaptive management and continual improvement, and, and that's uh, a requirement of our certifications, but it's also just the right thing to do on the landscape. So, you know, if we find something that, that's different than we thought it was out there, we, we have rules in place to, to deal with it and make sure we're not uh, having negative impacts on the, on the ecosystem. Uh, DMI has an extensive uh, history of investment and research collaboration. Um, so some of the partners and some of the, some of the things that we participate in, the, the forest resource uh, inventory, uh, EMEND, um, I'm sure many of you have heard of the, the EMAN site. It's, it is the largest uh, forest research site in the world, and it's on our, it's on our land base. Um, this Nakasi, and I can't remember what that one is again. All right, thank you. So, again, it is a research group that's doing some, um, you know, cutting-edge research on, on watersheds and, um, you know, coming up with recommendations on how we can improve our practices. Um, we've always worked with the University of Alberta and, and the Nate Boreal Research Institute, um, F FPAC, which is the, the Forest Products Association of Canada, uh, the Canadian Boreal Forest uh, Association, um, Nor Northern Research Council of Canada, Government of Alberta, Forest Resource Investment Account, and uh, recently we've started doing more work with the Alberta Conservation Association as well. So, you know, we're, we're not just throwing money at these guys and, and letting them do their thing out there. We're actually partnering with them, doing the research with them, and taking the recommendations that they're coming back with and, and implementing them into our, into our forest practices. So some mixed wood forest management tools uh, we've got from these guys, uh, natural disturbance inspired ecosystem based practices uh, is, is what we're applying out on the landscape. Um, we have a, our own retention strategy that's, 
heads and tails above any other forest company in, in the province right now. Um, you know, we're using the, the laser imagery and the wet areas mapping, and we have uh, best management practices established for various sensitive species and, and migratory birds. And most of this is not regulated or uh, required of us. It's, it's just things that we think we need to do to, uh, you know, be good for, uh, stewards of the forest out there. Uh, so we're getting close to being done. So consultation program activities. Um, so some information on the 2015 GDP was uh, provided to First Nation and Métis settlements with traditional use areas that overlap the proposed operating areas. Uh, information packages including general locations and timelines of planned harvesting, roads and silviculture activities were sent out to them. Um, the package also included an overview map, uh, general company information, and some specific methods of planning, harvesting, and, and reforestation. So um, in, in the past, I mean, it was, it was send out the information to them and see if you got some, something back from them. Uh, we're taking a little bit more of a proactive approach now where we, we send them more information and then we actually set up meetings with most of these, these guys if, if they're willing to meet with us and, and actually you know, have a sit-down conversation with them. Um, D DMI still has our public advisory committee. The, the public advisory committee is composed of members representing various stakeholder groups, uh, individual viewpoints, uh, government agencies and industries. Uh, meetings are held quarterly and provide an opportunity to give DMI direct feedback on our practices and, and policies. Uh, groups and individuals are welcome to make an application to join the public advisory committee and all inquiries regarding the, the Public Advisory Committee can be made by calling our, our Woodlands office. And for further information on the General Development Plan or anything that DMI Woodlands does, uh, you can call um, Fraser Butt, who's our superintendent. Uh, Trina Tosh looks after all the planning on the west side of, the, of our FMA, and I look after all the planning on the east side of the FMA. And I also look after all the private wood um, purchases for, for DMI. Any questions? I can ask one about um, employees and so forth. Um, so are there new and, I don't know, do some of your employees need different skill levels than they did two years ago? Is it? more computer stuff or is there anything like that yeah absolutely and I mean we're all we're all finding that we need uh, slightly different skill sets or advanced skill sets over over what what we did um, you know yeah even just a couple of years ago um, we we um, got rid of all of our um, GIS department I, I, I guess a, a, a couple of years ago and moved to an online system that's managed by a private consultant. And in doing that, um, all of us in Woodlands have really had to sharpen up our, uh, our GIS skills and, uh, and our computer, computer skills. Um, and it's, it's been challenging, but it's, but it's been quite rewarding also, you know, because, you know, in, in the past we would have had to go out in the, in the field if we found something that we needed to change or uh, did, you know, 
had to make some amendments too. We would have to, you know, quite often get somebody else to come out and, and do some GPS traversing for us. You know, we'd, we'd make the changes, send somebody else out to do the GPS traversing, and then bring that stuff back to the office to get somebody else to map it all up for us. And now we actually have the tools where we can do the change, do the GPS traverse, and actually map it in the field and make the change while we're without ever even coming back to the office. So it took us a little while to, to get there, and we're still not 100% there, all of us. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So, so I mean, the the, G, the GDP is, uh, is 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 all about getting our information out out to the public and out to the other the other stakeholders that, that are working on the landscape. So, I mean, it it really is you know part of our social license. Um, so, it, it describes you know the the consultation that has to take place um, with the various stakeholders who we have to who we have to consult with. And, and just because the GDP or just because the government's told us these are the people you have to consult with doesn't mean that that's the only people that we consult with either. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the part of the social license in the, in, in the GDP. And, and it says that we're going to follow all the rules and, and regulations that have been, been put in place to us. Plus, it says we're going to follow all the rules and that, that we've self-implied upon ourselves as well. Just. help communities develop urban forests so so I, I mean I, I'm not sure I'm not sure what DMI's particular take is is on it but I mean most certainly you know our woodlands team is is there to to provide information or help wh where we can so I mean we'd be we'd be more than happy to sit on a committee um, we'd also be more than happy to provide um, information on other organizations and groups that that do that kind of kind of work that you know that, that can help you out um, so you know we'd be yeah we'd be willing to participate um, in, in, in the development of uh, uh, of a plan or or provide um, you know inf information uh, as far as um, you know whether we'd be buy willing to buy wood from that I, I couldn't speak to that right at this point in time but I'm not sure that that would be I'm sure I'm sure with any forest, there has to be some kind of management activities that happen on it, and sale of wood um, is probably part of it. Um, whether DMI could help with that, I, I, I don't know. For, uh, for some reason, uh, a number sticks in my head from the presentation from last year, and it was on the maximum size of a cut block. Yep. And I remember one at Whiskey Jack, and I think it was 640 or 641. And and then in this year's presentation, I think the big number was 241. So uh, did the consultation say, please don't do consultation, or please do, please do not undertake cut blocks of that size? Or was it your wood supply and uh, the landscape allowed it, so you did it? So last year it was 640, and this year 241. Or is that, that's just the timber supply? That's got nothing to do with public consultation? Yeah. The, what, why did the number... Yeah, it has nothing to do with the public consultation. It just had to. It just dealt completely with um, how the blocks fit on fit on the landscape. Right, right, right. And and the other challenge that, that we that we ran into was when we got blocks too big, um, we couldn't finish harvesting them in a in a season. So they, 
you know, that created other planning planning issues with us. We, we've resolved some of that this year, and we now have two years to right. to finish harvesting a, a cup block once we started it. But but yeah, it, it's just it's just how it worked out. Just how it worked out. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a further question: ribbonless boundary trail. So um, break this down into layman's terms. So no more orange and red tape in the bush so that the skitter follows? Yeah, exactly. Well, you're, you're, you're ahead of your time because the municipality, I think, uh, like to consider a single the elimination of single-use plastic garbage bags in the town of Peace River. So maybe maybe you guys uh, are the leader here and we, we need to follow you. I'm not sure, but uh, well, well, so, I, so is, is you're doing it for other reasons, but that's, that's what you're suggesting. There will not be red ribbons for feller bruncher skitters and loggers. This will all be GIS, GPS controlled. Yeah, I, I don't think we can go 100%. Um, so, I mean, there's there's still some features that we want to hang ribbons on, and those are those are features that we absolutely want to protect, and, and they, they have minimum buffers on. So you've got a nesting area that you want to flag or something. Exactly. Most of it's around water courses, so where we have, you know, stream buffers that we need to maintain. If, if the rule says we need to maintain a 30-meter stream buffer, we don't want to maintain a 25-meter stream buffer. We want to maintain a 30-meter stream buffer, so we're going to ribbon those. Yeah. Um, but just regular cup-block boundary edges where it really doesn't matter if it's five meters one way or the other it's it's insignificant on the on the landscape wh whether it goes five meters one way or another we don't want to have that ribbon out there um, one we don't want people just walking around boundaries hanging them because that's that's a huge expense to us but we also don't want any plastic in our pulp so well, the, the, the more was, yeah. the more plastic we can eliminate out of the system yeah. the the better that is yeah. that is for us Good. and and we have we have tools so so we're going to use them now right you know we yeah. we can put real-time GPS units and all the feller bunchers. So, you know, if we can utilize those tools, we're gonna, we're gonna try. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. That, that'll help in uh, the argument for elimination of single-use plastic garbage bags. <laughs> we can fall back on your, uh, your, uh, your model. Yeah. But thanks for the answering. Yeah. yeah. All right, thanks very much. I can take a question if, okay. if anyone. So do you guys harvest um, areas that fire has gone through? And if you do, do you change the scope of your yearly operations to encompass that? So, so we do do some fire harvesting, not a lot. Um, one, because we're, we're mostly an aspen mm -hmm. operator, and the aspen generally doesn't, doesn't burn that heavily. Mm -hmm. um, and, and two, we can't use charred materials in our in our product, so so I mean if it's just a it's just a light bit of charring that's going to come off in the in the removal of the bark, yeah, we, we might be able to deal with some of it, but but mostly not, and and we, we just don't have those large tracks of aspen that, that we usually burn up either. Okay, thanks. All right, thank okay, you. Thanks. Okay. Before we uh, leave presentations, I'll need a motion from someone to uh, adopt the uh, financial statements for the financial year ending December 31st, 2014. So anyone want to make that motion? Deputy Mayor Manzer? I move that we adopt, accept, or adopt 
adopt the financial statements for 2014. Okay. Is that sufficient for you? Okay. Uh, all in favor of Deputy Mayor Mansard's motion? Passed. Uh, yeah. So the uh, that'll take us to bylaws, and we're at bylaw 1965, residential solid waste collection. Um, and I'll ask Director Sandy Adams to provide the backgrounder on this. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, what you have in front of you is a request for decision for second and third readings of the new and improved bylaw with the amendments. So what you have in the first half of your package is the um, proposed bylaw and you have at the back the amendments that were changed, so in red. So uh, at the risk of igniting another large debate on recycle on, on waste. So uh, 2.1, I just got some recommendations here. Uh, and um, so we have at the end there, or stable refuse, meaning refuse from a stable. But given that there's few, few if any stables left, and I think the last one burnt down three weeks ago or four weeks ago in our municipality. I'm just wondering if we should just put, uh, after excrement, put semicolon, just take or take out or stable refuse. Um, yeah. Can we, what would you do with the, um, because were there allowed chicken coops in town? Do we change? Uh, this, uh, it talks about animal excrement. And uh, and I'm uh, imagining chickens are still considered animals. Right. Okay. And yeah. uh, I think we probably would still allow that excrement as long as it's drained and it, well, it's it's drained and properly packaged, right? Absolutely. Well, that, you know that's not a real critical item or anything. And uh, the one right underneath that, two point one two. Here we had oh, maybe designated as organic material by the CAO. And this is actually the first time the CAO comes up in the whole the whole bylaw, and I'm wondering if you just want to change that by the sanitary inspector from time to time. Not we can make sanitary. Well, it defines who the sanitary yeah, inspector sanitary is in here. Inspector. Sanitary inspector means a sanitary inspector who is appointed by the town and or a bylaw enforcement officer as appointed by the town. So make that amendment? Pardon me? Make that amendment? Well, yeah, you know, it's, it, I'm, it's, not, it's not something I'm going to, a hill I'm going to die on. No, but it makes sense, so. So then there was 2.21, and I'm wondering if the cut and paste didn't work very well. So you got violation tag means a tag or similar document issued by the sanitary ins inspector or other person authorized to issue violation tags by the oh. boatload. Maybe you just want to take by the yeah, out. I don't uh, know what. Okay. 
and uh, or, or should it be by the town? That was two point two one. So uh, if I could go to 5.7, I just want to recommend another um, change here. So you've got um, the quantity of refuse generated from a residential premise during the, peri during the period between refuse collection shall be contained within three garbage bags. And this is where I'd make the change. And then I put semicolon after the first three garbage bags. And then I put each garbage bag shall not exceed a volume of more than 67 liters, semicolon. And then just make that each, the, the next each a small e. And then each garbage bag shall not exceed, which you have, 22.7 kilograms in weight. And just leave it there. So, okay. So, semicolon. Each garbage bag volume may not exceed. Well, I put shall not, but you can put okay. May shall not, not exceed a volume of more than sixty-seven liters. Okay. Semicolon, and then each. Okay. And then each bag. Okay. And then in five point eight. So if a plastic bag that is being placed out for collection and disposal becomes ripped or torn prior to its collection by the refuse collector, instead of, and instead of the and, mm -hmm. and I'd actually also take out the comma, I'd take out the comma and the and, and I'd, I'd just replace that or, just all of that with an or, O-R. And that's all I had. And if your people are in agreement with that, I guess they could make it second reading with as, am as amended. Um, I'd still like to talk about the maximum size of the garbage container. I, I guess I see it differently than, you know, and I guess you know, the city of Edmonton has the exact same system. They have a guys going on a truck and they pick up the, the waste and they pick up the blue bag recycling. They have a limit on their bags, on, on their weight, on their garbage containers, so they're not too heavy, heavy so the guys don't have to pick them up. You know, and so if, it, if it's good enough for Edmonton, why wouldn't we have that same limitation? You know, do we know that there are guys here that much bigger, that it's not an issue? No, the, the big garbage containers, they are willing to lift the lid and take the garbage bags out. As long as the bags don't exceed the, the mm -hmm. 50 pound limit, right? You have three of them in there, it takes out 50 at a time. He doesn't have to pick up the whole bin and dump it. Takes but out one bag, takes out one bag, takes but out one I bag. But when I washed them, they'd pick up the, in Edmonton, they pick up the bag, they pick up the bin. Well, this this guy said they're happy with doing it this way, that they'll open it up and take out the bags. Bags individually. That's what this. Uh, I, I, I think when it, when it was an issue in the city of Edmonton, that was, and that was like 20 years ago, that was an issue. And I think people were just buying larger garbage cans and garbage cans. And the, the hardware stores were accommodating that desire for larger garbage cans. 
but since the city of Edmonton put in that restriction and, uh, and other large cities have put in that restriction because of occupational health and safety, those garbage cans are not, are not growing like this. They're, they're more or less a standard size now. But they still still apply. Like, you know, I was there and, and at her daughter's place, the, the people that lived there before they did, they had too big a bin and they had it. The city had put on a sticker saying, this is over 100 liters, it's too big, we're not going to dump it. So th they, they still do that. I mean, that was a complaint in that Sandy that called when I sat in there. That was one of the concerns that the previous waste disposable company had, that the town was allowing too large of uh, garbage containers. Now, I know most of you seem to think these guys are going to pick the bags out of those containers. But if, you, if those are stuffed in there, you can't just pick the bags out. They're going to get stuck, and then you've got to... I physically watched the, uh, the gentleman here come by with the garbage truck, take the lid off, pick the bags out. That's as he he has done it. I think well, if, if they're not making an issue out of it, why are we creating one? Yeah. Well, I, I, I just I guess I see there was an issue in Edmonton. Our previous guys had made an issue of it, so I'm saying, okay, you know, why don't we deal with it now? I, all, all I'm saying is put a limit on the size of the, the of the garbage container. I well, I see you. Yeah, I, I can see why you make an issue of it because uh, you know we we have an obligation to. To, uh, from an occupational health and safety point of view to, uh, to make sure our guys are safe and that they don't get injured on the, on the workplace. But uh, why don't we uh, pass it as with those minor gra grammatical changes and then if we're, and, and, you, and we can talk to the, we can bring the guy in every whatever six months or so and ask him what his issues are and if one of them is is my my guys uh, I'm, my guys are having to clock off sick for two weeks at a time because the bins are the weight is too much. Then we, hmm. we I, I live with that. We well, well, I you wish I would have thought that when the vendor gave us the limit on the bag, the the weight, he's in the business. I'm sure he would have considered this discussion, and if it would have been an issue, I would have thought that he would have added that to the conversation, but he didn't. He. Um, he specifically went to the weight, so I mean, he, he's. Um, I, I would default to their experience, and if they're not asking for it, then I, I don't think it's going to be an issue. So I, I think wait and see. I almost tend to agree with your statement, and that's why I asked uh, Miss Adams the question um, at our last meeting was because currently, right now, um, personally, I have some 35 by 50 garbage bags, which are really big. And we're only filling them half full, uh, just to make sure that we meet that requirement. Um, simply because I don't want to waste the bags I've already purchased. So I, I tend I tend to agree with your statement. Okay. Um, can I make a yep. motion? Are you we this afternoon we made a slight change to these. Are all right. of you aware of that? change on uh, 7.1 this afternoon or this morning um i asked anna to put it up oh why don't you just go to 7.1 7.1 .1. um renee did would you like to explain the issue with why we changed 7.1 so right now it, the one i've got in front of me reads all residential premises yes within the municipal boundaries shall have a refuse account and shall be imposed a charge in accordance with the rates established 
in Schedule A of this bylaw. And then I think you defined, you actually defined uh, residential premises, didn't you? Or? And um, in Schedule oh. A, we clarified duplex, triplex, and fourplex. Right, okay, I saw that. Those yeah. are the two changes. Yeah, so before you didn't have a fourplex and you didn't have a triplex. Correct. Right, and you charged them. So if it's a duplex, so a single family residential is $15 a month. If, if it's a duplex, it's $30 a month. If it's a three threeplex, it's 45 and then and fourplex is 60 so. Yes, because some duplexes or fourplexes only have one utility meter and then it's divided. Therefore, all four will be charged the um, garbage fee. Okay. So this clause also um, allows us uh, we don't rely on our utility accounts to charge garbage rates. So if they don't come in for a water account, then uh, we can st th this bylaw still allows the garbage rate to be charged within the town boundaries. Okay. Yeah, you gotta pay for a service. Okay. Any other questions of, or suggestions for um, Ms. Adams? Hearing none, maybe we can get some motions on this residential um, solid waste bylaw. Bylaw 1965. I move that we accept bylaw 1965, the residential solid waste collection bylaw for second reading as amended. Okay. All in favor? Someone want to go for third reading? Uh, yes, Your Worship. Uh, do we need a motion to go for third meeting? We don't. We can just go right to third reading. I would put a motion on the floor, uh, Your Worship, to uh, accept all uh, 1965 for third reading with a small proviso that uh, the uh, small edits that we discussed tonight get uh, get incorporated. Yeah, that's why we put as amended. So. I'm sorry? That's why we just say as amended. Uh, as amended. Okay. Uh, yeah. All in favor of Councillor Needham's motion? Passed. I have a question just generally, though. Oh. Um, will the garbage collector people be making basically the same route through town on the same day? Like, if they're there at 7 a.m. at my house? Next week, will it be 7 a.m., or do they change their route? They shouldn't. Once the route's established, it will be 7. Um, what happened the first time they went through is because there was a learning curve and they were tagging bags and that, it spilled over to the next day, then it spilled over into the recycling day. So I think by the end of this month, it'll all be straightened out. Great, uh, that takes us to unfinished business and we have two, two Alberta Community Partnership Grants. Uh, the first one is the Peace Regional Pool Upgrade. And when I looked at this on the web, I think they were mixed around or I, I think, I, or maybe I was just confused, but uh, didn't seem to be the right the right backgrounder for that particular item. 
or am I wrong here? Okay. Okay. So what we need is some motions to enable the mayor and the CAO to sign the uh, 2014-15 Alberta Municipal Affairs conditional grant agreement for the regional collaboration component in the amount of $350,000 for the regional pool facility upgrade project. So I, I would move that. Okay, so do we need any debate on that? Okay, all in favor? Okay, would you care to go to the next one, uh, Ms. Bench? So this other one is um, the uh, partnership agreement, our uh, partnership grant with the County of Northern Lights, which was submitted uh, to the Regional Collaboration Grant Program in the amount of $250,000 for the development of a detailed engineering for a multiplex concept. So what we've done is uh, we've asked um, Municipal Affairs for an extension because we did not meet the timelines, which was, uh, I believe, March 31st, 2015. So they've given us an extension to February 29th, 2016. And uh, we need to sign an amendment to the grant agreement with the new deadline. Okay. Someone want to make a motion? I don't make that motion, Your Worship. Okay. Do we need any debate? Okay. All, oh, we do. Well, just, no, we're not going to debate anything, but just some clarification. So the multiplex project with? It, it's the arena. The arena project, and, and, it is and that it was applied for as uh, I believe the multiplex. Okay, I, I sure. I just the, the introduction of new terminology uh, just, just threw me for a minute. Okay, I'm uh, I'm fine. Thank you. It's to complete the recreational facility expansion plan project. Is what the application was for. So we have a motion, I uh, believe Mr. Burr made it. So all in favor of that motion? Passed. That, uh, that will then take us to uh, uh, peace. Yes, so we're under new business now and there's a request for sponsorship from PeaceFest, uh, maybe you could Lead us through this, Ms. Bench. Oh, I just locked out. There it is. So the Peace, the Peace River Community Event Society has is putting on the Peace Fest again, and they've provided us with a grant application. Um, the society is requesting four hundred and seventy-two dollars and fifty cents for table, chair, and stage fees, as well as seven hundred. $7,500 to offset their half of the estimated additional costs for policing during the event. Uh, the Town of Peace River has been covering the total cost of this since 2011, which was the last year that uh, the um, society contributed their portion of $4,500 towards the RCMP request or expense. 
So in speaking to the RCMP, they have informed me that the cost will be anywhere between uh, $9,100 to $13,000. So somewhere in between there is what the cost could end up being, depending on the event and the amount of staff they have to call out if something should happen. So the recommendation is that uh, the Town of Peace River provide support to the Peace River Community Events Society to assist them with costs associated with Peace Fest in the amount of $472.50 for table, chair, and stage fees and $5,000 to offset policing costs for the 2015 Peace Fest, a maximum of $5,000. Uh, Your Worship, if I may speak to this a little bit, the, uh, the RCMP policing costs is a item that has been overlooked in the last couple of years, so um, the Peace Fest is, is willing to try and pay for, for half of those costs, I believe is what the, what the application is being made for. Uh, just some supporting uh, documentation that's been provided to me by the, the, the Vice President of the group is uh, Peace Fest has been celebrating in Peace River and the region since 1997. Puts our region on the map with its marketing initiatives. Puts our region on the map by featuring mainstream entertainers and giving local and regional musicians a stage. Peace Fest is entirely volunteer driven with no paid staff. Puts money directly into the community by donate, donating proceeds to volunteering nonprofit or organizations and char charitable groups a dollar figure now in excess of $100,000. Uh, Peace Fest brings thousands of people into the region every year, resulting in a sizable economic boost. Um, for example, in 2014, last year, approximately 5,000 people attended, worked, or volunteered at the Peace Fest organized events. Hotels, campgrounds reported an increase in stays over Peace Fest weekend up to 30%, and more than 10% of ticket sales were purchased from people living outside the Peace River area. And Your Worship, I would like to excuse my, exclude myself for the rest of the conversation, being it's a conflict of interest okay. for myself. Okay. Okay. So, uh, anybody want to do anything with this? So, in, in the past few years, policing costs were paid by the town then, I understand? That's correct. It, it was overlooked uh, from what I understand and there was no contract put in place. So I don't know what the agreement was with the society at that point. Okay, to move along then, I'll um, move that um, the Town of Peace River Grants for Groups program provide the $472.50 for table, chair, and stage fees, as well as an additional $5,000 to offset policing costs for the 2015 Peace Fest. So they were asking for $7,500 for, to offset the police, and we're going to give them $5,000, right? So who makes up the other $2,500? Them? That's correct.
thought Orrin just said that they were prepared to pay 50% of the policing costs, but the thing is we don't know what those policing costs are until after the, after the event. Well, that's, I think, kind of what Renate said. It, it could be up as far as 13000 in which case half would be, you know, 6500 So if we're willing to pay 5000 period, whatever it is above that, they're going to have to pick up, whether it's 5000 or 8000 or ten. Anybody else want, want their say on this matter? So, Mr. Mayor, could I ask Mr. Yeah. Sawchuk, are, are you suggesting that my wording should be up to 7,500? No, I was just trying to get it clear in my head. So, we have a motion on the table. So, um, so maybe I could get you, Ms. Alexop, to read it back. Uh, Deputy Mayor Manzer moved to provide 472.50 to the Peace River Community Event Society for table chairs and stage fees, as well as an additional $5,000 to offset police, policing costs for the 2015 Peace Fest from the Town of Peace River Grants to Groups program. Okay. All in favor? Can I have a friendly amendment? I'd like to, to change it that we would pay up to 7,500, 50% of the cost up to $7,500. You accept that for any amendment? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think you just made it complicated. That okay. the town of Peace River pay 50% 50, uh, 50% of the policing costs up to a maximum of $7,500. His motion, I mean, the original. Okay, so we'll vote on that one. So, all in favor of uh, Councillor Burr's amended motion? Against? Okay, it's passed. So, that makes the original motion null and void. And we don't vote on it? No, oh, friendly amendment, okay. So it's cons still considered Deputy Mayor Manzer's motion. Okay, well, it's passed. Okay, we can bring in uh, Mr. Ford from the wilderness. Um, so the next item is uh, a request for sponsorship, Mighty Peace Golf Course. Um, well, there's two of them here, Mighty Peace Golf Course and Peace River Aboriginal Interagency. So, uh, Mighty Peace Golf Course, can you explain that one to us, Ms. Bench? So, the golf course is uh, asking for financial support to refurbish their power cart fleet. They're requesting $10,000. Um, they have fundraised $5,000 so far towards the $15,000 total cost to refurbish the, their fleet. So why don't we just deal with that one? And so your your recommendation is uh, to the so administration's recommendation is to provide the Mighty Peace Golf Club with 
$2,000 or $2,000 uh, to assist them in refurbishing their golf carts fleet. Okay. okay. Uh, comments, discussion? I would put a motion on the table, Your Worship, to accept administration's recommendation on this motion. Okay. Uh, anybody else want to weigh in? Okay. All in favor? Against? Okay, uh, that one's passed, and we have another one for the Peace River Aboriginal Interagency, and uh, the most reasonable request of the night for only $672, and it's all in kind. So their request is for... Um, the use of 20 45-gallon garbage barrels and bags, 300 chairs for the viewing audience, 50 tables, four port portable stage sections. So the um, 400, was it 400 and, oh, sorry, $672 is to cover those costs. And what, where is this? This is going to be used at the powwow? Or? At the powwow, at the uh, fairgrounds. fairgrounds, at the ag grounds. Okay. So what you'll want to do is cut them a check and they give it back to you and sign it and give it back to you. Sign the back of it. They pay. They're invoiced and they pay the invoice. What they do with the check is up okay. to them. Okay. Okay, so anybody? Nope. We've already approved some money for the powwow, right? There's what, three grand? That's correct, back in January. Okay. Anybody want to make a motion on this? I make a motion that we uh, support administration's recommendation to provide $672 uh, to the Peace River Aboriginal Agency as funding cover costs of the fees that town um, would normally cover. Okay. Any other comments? Discussion? If not, uh, all in favor? Okay, that's passed. Um, Mr. Mayor, just a comment. I, I find it much easier to go through these when they're two separate requests. We'll do that in the future. Uh, Community Futures has invited us to their annual general meeting and client appreciation dinner, um, and that will be held on June the 15th. That's a Monday at 5.30 at the Woodland Cree Health Center in Cadott Lake. Do we have a meeting on that Monday? No, you uh, don't. Okay. Um, so I guess the next question is, is there, I, I, I'm not going to be able to make it, so is there anybody who is going to be able to make it? Is that a yes from you, Deputy Mayor, or? I'm trying to figure out what the meeting would be about. It's their annual general meeting. I'll have to look and see. It's possible. Well, there is... The, the advantage, according to administration, is an, it's an excellent opportunity for networking and sharing in community, futures, peace, country successes. 
How could one refuse them? Uh, okay. Uh, so maybe a motion to enable the deputy mayor, unless somebody else wants to go. I, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm prior committed, uh, Your Worship, but I would certainly put a motion on the floor to enable uh, the deputy mayor or anyone else that's interested in attending the Community Futures event um, appreciation night on June 15th at uh, Woodland Cree. Okay, all in favor? Great, so that then takes us to uh, the Second World Religion Conference in Peace River. Uh, it's an invitation for uh, mayor and council to attend uh, um, a session, I guess, for world peace and less religious strife. And Mr. Sawcheck attended this last year. Would you care to attend it again this year? I would certainly not mind attending. I'm just not sure I'm available right now. I'm still trying to make my plans for that uh, date. So I would put a tentative yes. I, I recommend that we uh, enable the mayor and council uh, to attend whoever's available. Okay. I don't think I'll be available, so if somebody's going to attend there, uh, they'll need to... Uh, by then, we should have a communications officer, so maybe they can uh, cobble some words of welcome together. Um, I can't attend. That's the Peaceside grad uh, afternoon. Is the gay or the pride parade happening that day? I believe it is. 27th? 20? 27th? 27th, yeah. Okay, well, I'll be busy. <laughs> gonna, that's the problem. It's going to be a busy weekend. I, like I say, I still would hope to be able to attend, but I can't uh, guarantee at this moment. Okay. So, um, so we'll enable um, a counselor to attend. I will put a motion on the floor that we enable a one or more counselors to attend the uh, second. Uh, World Religious Conference and um, make a presentation on behalf of the town of Peace River. Okay, all in favor of Councillor Sajak's motion? Uh, it's passed. Uh, and the Monarchist League of Canada. Yeah. Um, Councillor Sajak, would this also include the, um, the um, delivering words of welcome as well? And the monarchists are suggesting that we take September the 9th and just a civic ceremony at noon on a Wednesday, September 9th. Um, and they're suggesting that we get on board now so that the Queen will have time to write us a letter. Also, I would just like to add that um, with this letter that we have received, we have actually also received a package with uh, certain suggestions and certain protocols that we can follow to make the, the day easier, the organization easier. So that will be made available to council. Well, we should probably, if we have a motion on this, we should let the two WASPs on council, Needham and Ford, make this motion. 
<laughs> or is that going to be a human rights issue now? <laughs> Are you guys going to make a motion here, or what's the story? I, uh, I've uh, read recommend. I've read the administration's recommendation on this item, uh, Your Worship, and uh, I would suggest that uh, uh, we direct administration to uh, uh, write the letter and plan a ceremony on September the 9th, and uh, we'll uh, see where it goes. Okay. All in favor? <laughs> And we have the uh, item number six, Peace River High School grad invitation, and that was a walk-on, and Ms. Manzer will speak to that. Um, yes, Mr. Mayor, apparently uh, yourself and myself have been invited to the uh, graduating class of 2015 to attend their ceremony, bring greetings from the town. It's June 27th at uh, 1 p.m., it also happens to be the 50th graduation ceremony for Peace High. Well, perhaps you can lead, you can take that one, and I'll take the Gay Pride, gay pride Parade. Uh, somebody else will take the World's Religion, the Religion Conference, and so. So I'd put a motion on the table, Your Worship, to enable Deputy Mayor Manzer to attend uh, Peace River High School's graduation ceremony. And on June 27th, are they wanting you to talk and to deliver greetings on behalf of the town? Okay. All in favor? Passed. Uh, uh, that will take us to reports. And we have check registries for June the 1st, June the 2nd, and June the 5th. Are there any questions on those checks? Yes. I had one. Um, Joe Johnson Equipment, I'm assuming this is part of the equipment that we authorized during the budget process for public works for $728,000. I'm just wondering if we know what piece of equipment that is. Um, Joe Johnson Equipment. Because I know we did a VAC truck. We did a... The backhoe, okay. And what about the, the street sweeper? The bobcat was different. Oh, the street sweeper, right? Okay. Or is it all three or two out of the three? It's on the third registry. It's um. June the fifth. Seven six two six nine. That's two. Yeah. Ms. Adams. Is it two pieces? Joe's. That's the two, right? Seven twenty-eight. Seven hundred and twenty-eight thousand. The checks in that red uh, file folder, Miss Alexal. There is, yeah. I'm just. Oh, is that what? What were the pieces? I was just wondering. Um, it was the sweeper and the hydro back. Oh, okay. Okay. Hydro back was four hundred and ten plus GST, and the sweeper was. 
the balance? Good call. Yeah, the balance. <laughs> so the track hoe is the bobcat of the piece? Yes, the track hoe is the bobcat. Okay, perfect, thanks. Okay, so a motion to, ex or are there more questions? Mr. Sajak, you look like you Make a motion to accept the uh, check registries for June 1st, June 2nd, and June 5th for information. Okay, all in favor? Uh, that'll take us to councillor's reports. Um, so you had, a, I think, a pretty, pretty full... Uh, I think you captured most of them, uh, Ms. Alexov. So after the regular council meeting, um, there was, uh, we proclaimed last week as Seniors Week. Is that right? Last week was Seniors Week? Good. Um, North Peace Housing Foundation um, had a meeting on Wednesday. Uh, and there was also a Peace River Chamber of Commerce general membership meeting. Do you want to comment on either of those, uh, Councillor Needham, seeing they're under your portfolio? I can uh, briefly comment on North Peace Housing. So we, this is the regular board meeting. Uh, it was held at the uh, Harvest Lodge in, um, in Fairview, so board members often conduct. Uh, while we do have uh, headquarters here in Peace River, uh, board members uh, visit when he, uh, some of our lodges from time to time, so that's where the site was. Uh, we had guest speakers, uh, Beth ba Bev Bastel and uh, uh, Brent from, uh, from the Rotary Group showed up and talked about the Shell Rotary Project. And uh, I think uh, uh, lots of excitement there. I think uh, we're getting down to the, uh, the final stages. Uh, I believe Bev announced a number, I believe it was 1.9 million. Um, it was noted that they're a, a little shy. They're working at the 2.1, I think, is the number, but uh, they just did an update from their perspective, and uh, um, so there's, uh, there's lots of movement, and uh, I, I think, uh, I think we're, we're going to proceed. So there's still a couple of little glitches along the way, but uh, I think for the most part, uh, it, it's, it's stay the course, and the idea is to get something built uh, get something going. Uh, they want to have one more gala event in November. So the idea, I believe, is to or pitch or to, to begin construction as early as September. Uh, and of course, um, uh, then when the gala is on, uh, potential donors would see some activity on the site and perhaps uh, some extra cash would come forward to, uh, to get them over the top. So uh, um, good, good news. And uh, they shared that information with North Peace Housing because we're a co-tenant uh, with them on, on, uh, on the building, so that's, that's, that's good news. I guess the other part of that meeting was largely just reviewing business plan, and uh, we've sort of begun a public education. I was out to uh, Worsley this afternoon talking about our business plan, and again explaining to people, uh, or explaining to elected officials, uh, sort of the vision of that piece of property and what it entails talking about the four-year strategic plan, but of course, 
uh, we get excited or I get excited about the project here, but when you're a elected official from Fairview or Worsley, their obvious question is, well, that's great, but when are you going to come to our community? So we need to talk, and we did, we talked about what the five-year plan is and the 10-year plan and the 20-year plan. So people can begin to understand uh, housing needs and where the lodge construction could happen. And again, these are long time frames and uh, based on, uh, based on uh, census data and an analysis by the staff. So in a nutshell, I, I thought it was a successful meeting and uh, uh, we were moving ahead. So the other meeting I had was, uh, well, that was the bulk of the, uh, I think I'll just leave it at that. So, um, so you're not going to comment on the Chamber of Commerce and I guess our newly elected MLA, Debbie Jabor, at a... Right, sorry. Uh, yes, sure. Yes, so I attended and I believe okay. Councillor Burr, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, uh, the MLA was in attendance. I would characterize it as a, as a sort of an introductory uh, meeting. Uh, she was largely introducing herself to the chamber, uh, fairly well attended, um, bigger than the usual chamber crowd. Um, you know, she uh, um, took questions from the floor, and if my memory serves me right, I believe uh, uh, I'll start with the easy ones, and those would be uh, the ones uh, uh, Dan, Dan DeBilt, I believe, asked one on economic development. Uh, Councillor Needham asked one on the possibility of a provincial sales tax in the province of Alberta. Uh, followed by what about the grants and lieu program that the former government eliminated and uh, she made note of that on her speaking notes that she would inquire. She was not aware of that program and I can understand why seeing that she's a newly elected official. Uh, the other question was uh, another loaded one to some degree on linear tax assessment and the question was whether or not the new government was going to reconsider uh, well, I guess the taxation model and the manner in which uh, linear uh, assessment is uh, dedicated to the rural municipalities. So that was, uh, I may have missed another question, but those There's are... There's one on minimum wage, whether uh, they, how mi they're really going to do that. Yeah, minimum wage was the other one. So uh, a, a short meeting, and um, um, I think it was largely a, a get-to-know-you meeting as much as anything. So she didn't have a lot of answers for those questions, or no. just sort of. Yeah. No, no, she she didn't. And uh, actually, uh, and I don't say that um, well with all due respect to the to Debbie. It's uh, I think she was sworn into office on two o'clock on the day before and drives back to be served. So she's literally been sworn in. Uh, uh, so she she's uh, yeah starting uh, starting back some distance. And uh, I guess uh, I know we've uh, North Peace Housing has written her a letter and want to provide her with a briefing in terms of what social housing is all about and what it is that the foundations in Alberta do. And uh, I suspect that municipalities are likely writing her letters as well, trying to get some of her time. And that, that's maybe something we should think about um, sometime as well to sort of get our issues before her. Uh, and um, I thought we'd request a meeting with her. Were you going to, or didn't we request? No, we didn't request okay. a meeting. I after she left, I hung around and uh, went up and introduced myself and just it said I was a town of peace servant and said that we would like to meet with her. I thought we'd already told her, I thought the administration was working on something. She will be in peace River 
uh, on Canada Day. Um, she's committed to come and be a part of those festivities. And then there's one other event, I think the day of the Gay Pie Parade, I think she said she was gonna try to be here. Uh, she also was on the Northern Lakes College graduation, whatever, but she wasn't physically at that. So I, again, she doesn't have, she doesn't have any help. Uh, one of the questions there that she pointed out about the, the constituency office, uh, she was short on answers, but she kind of indicated that she probably wouldn't be staying where the current constituency office is. She felt that was too big and it sounded like she was debating whether she would have an, a smaller office in Peace River and one on high level. You know, just she was still trying to sort out what what she could do and how she wanted to portion her limited budget of, as an MLA to deal with the constituency office. But it seemed like she was definitely leaning towards having some some sort of office space here in the town of Peace River. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And uh, so on June the fourth, uh, myself, Deputy Mayor Manzer, and Councillor Needham. Uh, went to the uh, annual conference for the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. And that lasted uh, Thursday afternoon, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday morning. Um, and uh, I, was, uh, I thought it was well done. And uh, uh, for myself, some of the takeaways, uh, CN had a session um, they uh, rolled out some products to help them in the event of a, an emergency, including an app, a real-time app. And uh, one of the things they also talked about was proximity to uh, residential developments, rail, railroads and, and residential developments. And they set out a set of proximity guidelines that we should be aware of. Um, <laughs> well, uh, there's, uh, well, obviously meant for new developments, but uh, uh, obviously stuff we should uh, incorporate into our land use bylaws or municipal planning committee uh, um, planning. And uh, there was quite a few uh, sessions on on uh, integrating uh, or getting up to speed with digital media. And uh, myself and Colin uh, ran into a City of Edmonton councillor, Tony Katerina, Kater, Katerina, who's also a developer and was quite interested in coming up to Peace River and uh, taking a look at his development. So we passed his name and contact information along to Dan DeBelt, uh, the EDO with Peace River Light Cardinal Group, and uh, the Yellow Pages people have a program called Shop Your Local Neighborhood, but the idea there is also to get local businesses uh, to get online. So something like uh, some huge percentage of businesses done online, but only 55% of small businesses actually have a presence online. So um, that and other other ideas to uh, to integrate our community on, in the digital world. So we'll try and pursue those as we go through through the year. 
Um, I don't know if you, Elaine, Colin, you want to add anything to that? No, I think, uh, you know, we could certainly uh, dissect each one of the days. But, yeah, it, I, I think the other thing is that um, just a small, um, you know, you often get involved in uh, these are events to talk to fellow, fellow councillors that we know, of course, in the area. But, um, you know, we one night, uh, just a short story here, that uh, in the province of Manitoba, they don't have Reeves, they have mayors. Um, I didn't know that. And, um, and so then they... I think the, the rural mayor that I sat with, we spoke uh, for some time in Manitoba. The NDP government passed a law about four years ago where if you're a municipality under 1,000 people, you need to go and uh, look for a willing, these are my words, find a, a willing bride. So there's been a big, uh, you can use whichever word you want, I guess it's amalgamation of municipalities. So it was a great discussion. I, I've read about this. Um, in various news articles, but it's actually uh, when you actually speak to an elected official that's, uh, you know, walk the talk, so to speak. So although they weren't directly impacted, this, uh, the mayor that I spoke to, but there were 65 municipalities that disappeared. So um, small communities, and we have many of them around Peace River, uh, would cease to exist. And uh, so, that, you know, so how does that work? How does that play out? What's the administration? Uh, what about the elected officials? What about the debt? So uh, a great conversation. Uh, I guess the takeaway is, uh, you know, is there anything coming to Alberta? Well, I, you, I guess we could speculate all we want. I, I'm not sure. But it's uh, fascinating to see that an NDP government did this. So it, it became a decision of practicality and economics versus uh, perhaps a, a belief from a, a, from a, a party that's uh, often, often this is a strange position for for an NDP party to take, or it is in my mind anyway, but a great conversation. So those are sort of the little add-on uh, conversations just to see how other provinces are, are managing and certainly that amalgamation, regionalization thing, it's, it's happening other places. So uh, just, uh, just good information. So June the 5th, there was a uh, Seniors Week, fabulous, fabulous 50 Seniors Appreciation Event, and I think Tanya Bell uh, brought words of welcome from uh, oh did were you there okay great yes yeah, so I actually attended the event it was uh, it was very well attended uh, lots of seniors uh, came out to the event uh, the one thing I do have to say though is big kudos to uh, uh, community services especially Amina for organizing this event they did a spectacular job um, I delivered greetings on behalf of the town of Peace River and they actually liked my joke okay <laughs> Well, yeah, because some people say that you can actually become a senior at the age of 35 because you qualify to play old-timers hockey. Oh, okay. Good. So, and then Northern Lakes College had their convocation, and uh, Councillor Burr, I think. Uh, yes, I attended that. It was a much bigger event than I anticipated. It was for all their campuses, like from all over northern Alberta. So I, I thought there'd be like 25 people from the local campus, but it was Slave, well, they, they rotate around, they have three centers, like Slave Lake, Peace River, and I think the third one is either Guard or High Level. So there were over, around 200 uh, uh, students there. They had over close to 1,000 that have graduated from different programs that, that were there. Uh, Dino Colburn from Sh the new manager out at Shell was the... Uh, the guest speaker. They had a 
everyone was in those fancy robes and gowns. It was pretty impressive. I was, uh, so in three years, they'll be back again, so. But yeah. Great. And uh, June the 6th was a Saturday. Um, and June the 7th was a Sunday, and I don't see there having been many municipal events on the weekend. So, and if anything I missed that we should bring up? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I'll just mention that at the FCM, I attended a, a session on advancing equity and inclusion. The uh, City of Ottawa had um, or has a program to get uh, basically citizens involved in all sorts of um, things that municipalities make decisions on. So that was quite interesting, I thought, and maybe we can pick up a few um, ideas. Also, I went to a session on first responders, and apparently in some places they're having um, emergency people of all sorts basically share the same um, buildings or the same yards somehow or other. And there was a talk about, and I don't know if it's new, or whatever. Anyways, using these same emergency um, communication uh, bandwidth. So I'm not quite sure where that is. But anyways, um, it was a very good conference and I talked to a few people or a few municipalities who are um, trying to figure out how they can uh, basically um, buy their have their own utilities so that instead of selling, instead of their citizens buying gas and electrical from an outside company, shall we say, or a bigger company, they buy it from their municipality. And apparently that's one way of having municipal income as opposed to only tax income. Okay. And if there's nothing else, we will... Uh Move on to uh, the information items. Um, Town of Peace River, May, May 2015. We have uh, reports from community services, corporate services, and the office of CAO, engineering and infrastructure and protective services. Uh, any questions on those? Anything anyone wants to highlight? Um, there's a comment on the engineering and infrastructure one about all public concerns being addressed, including um, uh, the fact that there is no potholes reported, um, but some complaints about roadways included in the neighborhood renewal. Does, does the CAA know anything about those actual complaints? I'm reading page 118 of 140. Under public works. Under public works. No, I, I will find out what those complaints were and I'll send that out to council tomorrow. Just another uh, perhaps homework assignment to the uh, to the CAO on the the protective services the global traffic group report. Um, it, it, there's no totals on it so it's uh, I, I do see some pages there but I just uh, um, it would be I really don't want to add up all those numbers, but if somebody could uh, get the Excel spread, or I'm not showing it on mine anyway, uh, get the Excel spreadsheet and just tell us what the revenues are. We are working on that. We're trying to work with White Court to get uh, 
We're having a little bit of trouble finding the reports to. I thought you were going to say you're working with White Court, so they're going to share their revenue with us. Is that what you were well, doing? Well, that might work. That might work. Yeah, okay. Okay, fair enough. I, uh, so Global is doing White Court at and ourselves. So That's it, right. Okay. We're trying to work with White Court to see what, um, if they've got some spreadsheets that they've developed over the last couple of years sure. that would work for us. All right. Fair, fair, yeah, fair, fair enough. Anybody else? Okay, then it takes us to the Municipal Planning Commission. Uh, they uh, posted their minutes. Um, so I assume another quiet meeting. Or is that an assumption I shouldn't make? Okay, anything we should know about? No. And then Chris Workington had a number of news releases. And Primary Care Connection sent out their newsletter for May 2015. So unless there's anything anybody wants to highlight in particular, I will, uh, um, I will, um, I'll just ask for a motion to, for to uh, accept 11.1 through 11.5 for information. Councillor Benke, is that your motion? Yes. All in favor? Uh, Ms. Bench, any notices of motion? No, none. Okay, there will be no in-camera items tonight, is my understanding. And so uh, that takes us to key communication items, and we will defer to the press to find out what they found in any of interest, if anything. Your Worship, I, I realize you've turned the floor over to the press, but if I could just interject. Uh, tomorrow night, are we having a neighborhood renewal meeting? Is, is Okay, and could you remind uh, some councillors that can't remember where it is we're having the meeting? Uh, okay, fair enough. 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, uh, Kyle and I forget your name. Gainley. Kyle and Gainley. Um, any any comments? Anything worth noting? Any sound sound bites you need? You might have to buy a paper. <laughs> <laughs> Were you wearing a blue bag? Don't come down to the office. <laughs> well, the reason why I ask is Councillor Burr did a, simple, a similar interview uh, a month ago, and, and I understand that the editor in Grand Prairie uh, did not publish it. And uh, so I, I, this is a remake. Recycling 2.0. Better, coherent manner, and the photo op was, was, was I'm sure, better. And, uh, <laughs> with all of that, I'm wondering whether or not. Uh, I'm sure it's something I could use. I have two green bags holding. 
Okay, is there anything? Who wants to lead the LED parade? Who wants to handle that? Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll take it. Sure. Uh, uh, either one of those two. That's good to know. Okay. Um, I don't know. Was there anything else the counselors thought was? I think we should highlight the uh, financial statements out. Right. So if people want to see how how the town's doing, check out what councils earn. Right. So the financial, uh, the audited financial statement was presented. Um, and uh, and that audited statement will be on the website. How soon, Ms. Bench? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Okay, and uh, and so uh, Ms. Ms. Peterson gave you a, a layman's digestible version, and she's uh, open for questions on that. They can contact you. Yeah, directly, yeah. And um, should we highlight these uh, Alberta Community Partnership grants? Okay. I had the three presentations, the passing of the garbage bylaw, <clears throat> and the partnership grants, and the three donations. Okay, great. So... Um, with that, I will accept a motion to adjourn the meeting. Councillor Ford. All in favor of Councillor Ford's motion to adjourn the meeting? Got to do one motion tonight. 